0: Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Heavenly Father, we gather together as your saints, only sanctified because of the blood of the Lamb. We ask you, O Lord, and we come to you, O Lord, to now sanctify our hearts and our minds, our ears, our eyes. Help us, O Lord, to be focused with our eyes and ears and our souls divinely open to the gift of the written scriptures that you're pouring out upon us now. Help us to be attuned to what you're speaking to us, what you're saying to us. Bring our mind, bring our attention and our eyes to you and you alone. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we come to the Gospel of Luke, where he continues pointing us and steering us in a direction in which Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem, as he says elsewhere earlier in the Gospel of Luke. And if I could have taken today's Gospel lesson, which we'll be going through today, I think if I could retitle it, maybe I would have retitled it, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Jerusalem. (laughs) And why is that? Because Luke is continually wanting to remind us and to see that Jesus is purposely on the way to jerusalem if we were reading luke chronologically if we were doing a bible study this would be the third time that luke points out that detail and he's a stickler for details to help us to remember and to see what is jesus's mission that he's on the way to jerusalem luke wants us to truly know to truly remember in case we have forgotten while reading his gospel or hearing it read that jesus is purposefully heading towards his death, that he is purposely putting his face towards Calvary, his mind towards what he will accomplish upon the word of the cross. Because Jesus' entire life, from his very birth in the manger to his ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father, it has a laser-like precision to accomplish one thing, God's will. And what is his will? Namely, that humanity's salvation is brought to us, gifted to us. Because every action of Jesus' life is for our salvation. Even including his passing along between Samaria and Galilee, as Luke puts in today's gospel. Now, to you and me, that may seem like, well, it's an insignificant detail. But Luke includes Jesus' route because it's notable. It's notable that Jesus is taking the long way to Jerusalem. So we should be asking ourselves, now, wait a second. if, If Jesus is setting his mind towards Jerusalem, if he's on his way to Jerusalem, then why is he taking the long way? Because Jesus has a preordained appointment with several men who have suffered for years. Jesus nears a small town outside of Israelite territory, considered part of the Gentiles, really. And as he's approaching the outskirts of this small town, what do we hear from Luke's gospel? Is that he, Jesus, was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Why at a distance? Because they're lepers. They have to. They don't want to give the disease they have to anyone else. And leprosy, it's a broad term due to a variety of of skin diseases and ailments that are highly, highly contagious, that are painful and can be deadly. And due to the horrible nature of this disease, God provided strict rules in the Old Covenant to protect his people. They wanted to make sure that his people were not wiped out, were not spreading the disease like wildfire throughout the camp when they were camping with Moses there in the desert awaiting the Promised Land. And even afterwards, once they settled the promised land, to keep people outside the city gates as we find these ten lepers. Numbers five one tells us, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, so they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And so we hear that there's a separation, in one part, for good health, for cleanliness, but also because the Lord God dwells amidst his people. And you are ritually unclean if you touch the dead body, if you have a discharge from the body, or if you are a leprous. And so this is the reason why here in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, where do we find these ten lepers? We find them outside the city, outside the small town, beyond the city gates, keeping their distance abiding by the terms of this rule, this law, this command from the Lord, and protecting the healthy. The lepers were required also in the Old Covenant to cry out, Unclean, unclean, according to Leviticus 13.45. It's a means of warning people from approaching too close. But these ten lepers in today's gospel reading, they cry out something different, don't they? They, quote, lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, Have mercy on us. What a marvelous confession of faith we find here in Luke's gospel. And this confession of faith, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, it should sound familiar to us because just a couple of Sundays ago, what did we hear? We heard the confession of the tax collector who from the back of the temple bowed his head and prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. These 10 lepers, they nearly match the words of the tax collector, but their confession is more shocking, more bold, because the tax collector, after all, remember, he belonged to a parable, to a story that Jesus told. But these 10 lepers are real flesh and blood who confess Jesus as their master. And they cry out in faith, knowing that he is the one who can heal them. He is the one whom they beg for mercy. And that he, as though he is God, can make them whole. For indeed, Jesus is God. But this confession of our Lord is also a cry of heartbreak. These ten, after all, have lived a life of exclusion from society due to their disease. As Leviticus 13, 46 explains, those who had leprosy shall remain unclean as long as they have the disease. They are unclean. They shall live alone. Their dwelling shall be outside the camp. So these ten have lived outside of any town or any city. More likely lived in a leper colony. No fellowship except with fellow lepers. No family to go home to. No family who could visit them, else risking their own health. They're isolated from their former friends and from their family. And if it sounds like a horrible existence, it is. And so they cry out in desperation to Jesus as their master. Have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, not you are healed. He doesn't lay hands on them. Instead, Jesus says what? He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. It's fascinating, isn't it? Jesus tells them, comply with the law of Moses, with the old covenant. Go and have the priests examine you. Because under the Mosaic covenant, you only went to the priests to confirm that you're now clean. Clean that you're now no longer leprous, that you're now safe to rejoin society. Yet Jesus just simply tells them, go away and go seek out the priests. Now imagine for just a moment that you see Jesus, that you are the one calling out to him for healing. And instead of him going to you, he just simply says, go to the priests. This could be devastating to hear that. Is he telling me to go away? Is he saying that he can't do anything? Is he saying the priest can help, but not him? And any of those thoughts for us would be rational. It would be understandable. But notice something about these lepers. None of them complain. None of them question. None of them bemoan. These men truly believe their confession that Jesus is a master. That he can have mercy on them. They trust in Jesus. They have faith in him. And what do they do? They simply trust and obey. For there's no other way as the old hymn goes. And indeed, there is no other way for the leprous. And so they demonstrate their faith in Jesus. And they head towards the priests to do exactly what Jesus has commanded them. And then the miraculous happens. <coughs> when they listened to Jesus, they trusted their words. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Do you trust Jesus? Not believe in the idea of Jesus. Not merely assent that Jesus is Lord. But do you trust Jesus is Lord? Is God with us? Emmanuel. Do you have confidence? in Christ and in Christ alone. Are you hedging your bets on yourself, maybe your money, maybe even your politics? Because if you only put a half-hearted trust in Christ, you have no trust at all. A foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom will only leave you on shaky ground and you will fall. Follow the example of these lepers unquestioningly trusted in Jesus by obeying his words. They received Jesus' unmerited grace by simply taking themselves out of the equation and obeying, listening to the one that they have called Master. The Master has told us to go, and go we shall. And we, church, should heed the example of faith that these lepers have. Because we are gifted with Jesus' very own words for our very own lives right here within the Scriptures. We can read the Scriptures. We can even listen to the Scriptures by virtue of an audiobook or a podcast. We have so many ways in which we can hear the Word of God over us. But do we trust and obey? That's the call of Christ. Is that he bore the cross for us and he gives us our own cross to take up and bear. He invites us to join in his ministry because we are no longer our own. We belong in body, mind, and soul completely and wholly in Christ. So our identity in a world that's going mad about who we are, what your identity is, on who you want to be, who you want to reimagine yourself. The world is asking the right question, but it's getting the wrong answer. You can't reinvent yourself. You can't make yourself out to be someone you're not. Instead, we need someone to make us into whom we're called to be. We need God to become man, to make man like God, as Saint Athanasius would And that's why in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 through 4, John tells us, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God being born again, regenerated, going through the waters of baptism and faith, does what? Quote, overcomes the world overcomes the world, doesn't become part of the world, doesn't have one foot in the world and one foot out, but overcomes the world. How? Because we're so united in Jesus himself that the one who has achieved the victory, the one who overcame the world, lives in us and we in him. And so John finishes this portion of his letter saying, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it, John? What is it? Our faith. Our faith our trust, our confidence in Christ, becoming one with him. However, when faith is tested, it demonstrates whether or not we have a true dependence or just a weak habit. You would think that these lepers, there's 10 of them now, have been tested in years of suffering But the true test of their newfound faith in Jesus comes at their healing. And I think that we have all experienced this in our life. And perhaps even now, experiencing moments in which we just simply take things for granted. And good health is something that we just take for granted far too often. And then you lose it. Who among us has not been well and then you were stricken with illness? And then you long for the time in which you were not sick. In which every swallow of the throat wasn't like daggers just coming at you for just a moment. Or when you catch the flu, and after only a few days of suffering, you long for the moment of only a week ago, just a week earlier. I took for granted of being free from aches, from chills, from pains, from a fever. And then finally, the healing does come. At least typically, it does come from these common ailments. But what do we do when the healing comes? We forget. We don't even remember the illness. Instead, we move forward, going back, moving forward in the good health that we once again take for granted. And we even forget to thank our Lord and our God. And we see this magnified in today's gospel, where 10 lepers who correctly rightly and faithfully call Jesus their master, go to the one and seek his mercy and healing, are suddenly reduced from ten to one. For Luke tells us in verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Just one out of the ten turned back. That is, only one of them repented, turned around, headed back to the source of his healing to give thanks. This man also isn't like the other nine who left being healed, moved on with their lives, and never looked back to their healer. No, this man is different because he's a Samaritan. And we talked about the Samaritans last week. It's interesting that in the ancient Western lectionary, it pairs these two gospel readings together back to back. Because remember from last week, Jesus' parable from last Sunday was that of the Samaritan is the one who gets it, who understands that the call is to love our neighbor, is to help the one who is hurt. Going out of his way, spending two days' wages, and saying, whatever it takes, whatever cost it is, to heal this man, this stranger I don't know, I will pay you. But meanwhile, God's chosen people, the two religious elites, the Levites and the priests just go right on by and do not help. But the Samaritan is the one who shows what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to love a neighbor? And now what do we see today's gospel lesson? One Samaritan who turns around and goes back while the other nine Jews, God's chosen people, move on without thanks without acknowledging what their healer has done. But there's a difference between last Sunday and this Sunday. For last Sunday was about a Samaritan and Jesus' parable, a story Jesus is telling to make a point. But today's gospel lesson is a real, live, flesh-and-blood Samaritan who realizes who Jesus is. He gives thanks to God. And at his return, this Samaritan doesn't cry out, For Jesus, have mercy on me. But instead, he loudly praises God for what God has done for him. And the healed Samaritan does something incredible. As he's praising God for what God has done, he shows his complete trust, faith, and dependence upon God by falling on his face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. What an example of true faith. This Samaritan realizes Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He praises God and falls on his face, bowing, prostrating himself in worship and gives thanks to the one who has healed him. This is the example of a true faith. A trust that's not merely outward due to the outward healing. Not merely a faith that's there when I need something, God, make me well, but a faith that is completely in reliance and in confidence upon Jesus. (coughs) This Samaritan proves his love for Jesus by thanking him not merely with his lips, but with his entire body laying before him. He's the perfect example of why we gather together as Christ's body, as the church. Because we, O church, we turn our backs from the world, from our own flesh, and from Satan to return to the king. We come together to praise God like that Samaritan. We fall down on our knees like the Samaritan, confessing our sins. Praying to our Lord and professing that Jesus is Lord. Like the Samaritan, we join together each Lord's day to give him thanks for redeeming us sinners and gifting us himself in that great thanksgiving we call Eucharist, Holy Communion. The great faith that the Samaritan demonstrates results in Jesus noting, we're not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? And Christian, we too were cleansed in our own baptism. But do not forget the one who cleansed you, like the nine who forgot their healer and they went back into the world, forgetting the one who saved them for a purpose in the world. We're to be in the world, not of the world. And the scriptures warned us once again in 1 John, in chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so Jesus, too, in his gospel lesson today, he finishes these three rhetorical questions by asking a third question. Was no one found to return and to give praise to God except this foreigner this stranger a foreigner to the covenant of israel a stranger to the promises of god yet who receives the grace of god for this samaritan has what the nine jews lack a full and complete trust in jesus this samaritan has switched his allegiance his allegiance from his own desires from his own fallen fleshly heart. To desiring nothing but Christ. And we are also foreigners like him, foreigners to the covenant of God, and yet God, in his mercy, has opened up his covenant of grace to all who have the same faith as Abraham, regardless if we are Jew or Gentile. Where St. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Nothing but the blood of Jesus has bought us. And nothing but faith in Jesus has saved us. And so Jesus finishes his rhetorical questions. He looks down upon this foreigner and this stranger to the covenant, the Samaritan. The Samaritan still at Jesus' feet, bowing to his face on the ground, on the dust, on the dirt, thanking his Lord and his Master. And Jesus looks down to him and says, Rise. And go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or as it can literally be translated. Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Yes, saved you. His faith and your faith fellow sinner. Saves you in Christ Jesus. And our same Lord is telling us after we bend down and we come to this railing to receive Christ into us, he tells us and beckons us, rise and go your way, back out into the world, not to be of the world, but to be in it. A presence, an ambassador of Christ Jesus, bearing the aroma of Christ's resurrection. The fact that nothing but the blood of Christ has cleansed us. Just as the Samaritan was cleansed, not only from his leprosy, but also from his sins. whereas Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? good works, which God has prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. We are the Samaritan, my friends. We are cleansed by nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are shown unmerited grace and mercy by our Lord as we cry out, Lord, have mercy upon And Christ looks at you and looks at me and he's telling us even now, rise, go, your faith has saved you. And so when we return to Christ, when we follow him and we hear the commissioning that he commissions us with every Sunday, after we rise from the communion realm, after we hear the dismissal to go out and go our way, in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study, and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.